0: Good to see you this morning. I'd like to invite you to open up your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 22, and I'm going to be reading verses 24 through 27. Because this is the, uh, the time, the Sunday of the year when we ordain and install our officers, uh, the messages that I preach are on these Sundays in particular, typically about leadership. As I do speak about leadership today, everything I say applies to leadership in the home, leadership at work, leadership in your community, and the various ways you lead in your life, in the church, and with others. So I hope you'll feel that it's relevant to all of you, and you can take it to heart. Let me read from the Gospel of Luke. Actually, what I'm going to do, let me make a couple announcements first, or a couple comments. Um, Let's pray. (laughs) Father, I ask you that you would make the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts acceptable uh, in your sight. Lord, speak to us this morning. And always teach us not to trust in ourselves, but to rely on you who raised the dead. Yes, I I was thinking about this. I thought I I would begin this message by giving you three facts and a quiz. I hope you don't mind. Um, Three facts. Fact number one. The number of verses in your ESV Bible where you find the word lead, whether as a noun or as a verb, lead or leader, the number of verses is 281. Fact number two, the number of verses where you find the noun or the verb for serve, whether it's the verb serve or servant, you find, you find that in 1,251 verses of the Bible. That's 281. That's 1,251. And then here's fact number three. The number of verses that name both terms and relate them together is one, just one. So we want to understand what that verse means. We want to understand, if we want to understand what servant leadership is, that is a key verse for us to look to. Now, before I get to that, let me give you your quiz now. Ready? Quiz number one. Question number one. Where would you expect to find this verse in the Bible that combines and interrelates the two ideas? Where would you expect to find it? Where? (laughs) Yes, Carolyn, you've been reading. Luke, yes, you all should have been reading it. All right, exactly, in the Gospels. And who would you expect to be the speaker? Thank you, thank you. And which concept would you expect to have emphasized In that verse, leadership or servanthood? Okay. Well, I want to suggest the answer to the third question as to which concept you would expect to have emphasized is actually both. He's emphasizing both. He's underscoring the necessity of serving in order to emphasize the nature of what it is to truly be a leadership, a leader what true leadership is. Jesus is not elevating serving at the expense of leading. It's fine to be a servant or be serving without leading. But what Jesus is arguing is, is that in order to lead, you must do that as one who serves. In order to lead, you must take the form of a servant. You must empty yourself just as as he did. That is what he's teaching us. So let's read from the passage, see if you agree. It's Luke chapter 22, picking it up in verse 24. Jesus has just uh, served the Last Supper. He's just announced that, uh, he's just announced that uh, Judas, uh, one of them, is going to betray him. He doesn't name Judas. And so the disciples are arguing about who that may be. And of course that argument is expressed as not me, not me, not me, and then it morphs into, you know, well, who is the greatest among us anyway? So that's what they're talking about. It says, the dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. And Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors, but not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as the one who serves. For who is the greater, the one who reclines at the table or the one who waits on the table? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I'm among you as the one who serves. You know, I wait on you. Jesus isn't speaking about serving in order to to denigrate leadership. He is speaking to restore leadership to its true purpose, its purpose as it existed in the Garden of Eden, which really is to serve. It's to serve others. If you ask the question, well, what's really required in order to serve others, I would say, in line with the concept of servanthood, what is required, I would say two things. I would say, at least for purposes of this sermon, uh, an intense humility, and a deep loyalty. And we're going to get to those at the end of the sermon, toward the end of the sermon, to humility and to loyalty. But first, what I want you to do is consider with me the misperception that we're up against, the misperception that Jesus was dealing with, the concept of leadership as it is, uh, as it is owned and understood and practiced in the world, and as the disciples themselves at that point had fully imbibed, uh, as, they, as, they, as they understood, as they embraced. And Jesus, uh, in verse 25, exposes the, discipleship's, the disciples' distorted idea of leadership. Um, they, they equate, and here's the issue, it, the problem is that they equate leadership with greatness. They equate leadership with personal greatness. And so Jesus uses two terms to underscore the ugly side of what this this false equation inevitably leads to. And uh, this is what he says. He says, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. So there's uh, there's this verb that's translated, single verb that's translated exercise lordship over, and then there's this noun that he uses that translates as benefactor. Now, exercise lordship over is simply the Greek term for Lord made into a verb. The noun Lord made into a verb. And other translations have have put it this way Um, the the Gentiles, the pagans, uh, lord it over others. Your text says exercise lordship over others. Uh, The world's leaders, the world's leaders assume a status over others so that others wait on them. And when I talk about this equation, this assumption of, of leadership equals greatness, the greatness, I mean, is, has to be understood in no other terms than this, very simply. It just means that I am greater than you. <laughs> That's what it means. Uh, greater than everybody else. And this greatness associated with leadership is reinforced in every imaginable ways, whether in processions, in which the leader is in front, or in sitting on chairs that are bigger than, higher than others, or wearing the clothes that are fit for a king, or being surrounded by a retinue of servants, the leader always comes first. He's always ahead. Uh, she's always over. Leaders are always set apart. It isn't that leaders are served it's more than that. It is that they are always the first to be served. And this isn't because of what a leader does. This is because this is because of what the leader is. The leader is considered to be greater. The leader is considered to be entitled. And then Jesus also says Those in authority over them are called benefactors. Now, you'd think benefactor is a good word. Benefactor simply means to do good. But the emphasis here in Jesus' statement is when he says those in authority over them are called benefactors. They are called benefactors. Not only are they treated as great, they expect to be lauded and applauded as great. They expect it. You can't even speak to them unless you pepper what you say to them with titles like your majesty, your highness, your eminence. In ecclesial circles as well, uh, leaders are sometimes called patriarchs, which simply means powerful father, the father over all fathers. And as for those who demand to be called benefactor, this is like a a, uh, uh, title, benefactor. No one can top the former tyrant of Uganda, Idi Amin, who demanded to be known as, among other things, Lord of all the beasts of earth and fishes of the seas and conquerors of the British Empire and Africa in general and Uganda in particular, the uncrowned king of Scotland. Now you see, this is what we're talking about. Benefactor. And you can see the ugly underside of all this. If you don't play the role of the ever-grateful, ever-groveling, ever-beholden subject, you fall out of favor. And if you fall out of favor, you're punished, you're threatened, you suffer. And if you go beyond that, if you criticize, you're destroyed. Even to this day, what has it been? 70, 80 years after um, Ataturk died, the head of Turkey, Uh, who changed his name to Ataturk, which means father of Turkey, if you say anything critical of Ataturk, anything critical of Ataturk, you'll be arrested and you'll probably disappear forever. And the root error in this, again, that feeds, yes, buffoonery, but also cruelty and oppression, comes down to this false equation that authority equals greatness. That's why the king is your excellence. The queen is your highness. That's why the pope is your holiness. As if somehow having a position means that you are noble. And so we call people who have these positions nobility, right? Well, if greatness isn't synonymous with authority in the kingdom of God, then what is synonymous with greatness in the kingdom of God? And I think that Jesus teaches this again and again and again. And I think that the answer is is faithfulness. I think it is faithfulness to serve others for Christ's glory. It's faithful. It is faithful servanthood. And so in the parable of the talents, do you remember the words that are used to describe, that the master uses to describe and convey the worthiness of the, of the servants to whom he's going to give multiple talents? He, how does he describe them? Well done, thou what? Good and faithful. Exactly. And it wasn't about how much they had control over, was it? It wasn't how much authority they had. Whether one, three, five talents really was immaterial. In our own text, Jesus says to his disciples in verse 28, You are those who have stayed with me in my trials. And I assign to you as my father assigned to me a kingdom that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Now you hear what Jesus just said. You are the ones who have stayed with me. You have stuck with me. You have stood by me through thick and thin. That is faithfulness. That is faithfulness, which is a person's true measure. It's a person's true measure. And Jesus rewards them for that in the kingdom of god a worthy leader is a leader who's faithful faithful to christ and follows christ by following his example as jesus served others that is what that is what a worthy leader is it has nothing to do with how people treat you it has everything to do with how you treat others it's not about others' Hailing you is great. It's about you caring for others and coming alongside them and lifting them, lifting them up. You know, to be ordained as an elder or deacon or really trustee, to be ordained as an officer is to be given authority to lead. And it's like receiving a new set of tools, new box of tools. I mean, leadership is pretty much what leadership is. It doesn't matter when we talk about the box of tools. It's pretty much what leadership is. It doesn't, the box of tools doesn't vary very much. It's, it's, uh, leading means you taking initiative. It means making changes. It means resolving problems. It means creating or taking advantage of opportunities. It means evaluating and weighing. It means correcting and rebuking. It means protecting and safeguarding. Leaders are the gap fillers. Leaders are the ones who close the gap between talk and action. And it's an extremely important responsibility that's given to them. And Jesus is telling his apostles. He's telling his apostles to use these tools and prerogatives of leadership to serve others, just as he had done to them. Okay, so we've talked a little bit about the the prevailing view and understanding of leadership, which Jesus was debunking. We've talked about what really is synonymous with uh, with uh, greatness in the kingdom of God. It's not leadership. I think it's really faithfulness, and faithfulness understood and expressed in terms of serving. But let's move on then to the particular requirements that this work of leadership uh, uh, involves. What are the requirements? What are the requirements? And I want to focus on those two that are essential to the idea of serving itself. And I referred to them earlier. I want to speak for just a couple moments to you about humility and loyalty and what I mean by those two things. Humility. Why is a requirement? What does it mean? Why is it so important? Humility is not thinking of yourself more highly than you should. So the Christ remains foremost in your thoughts. So you don't become recklessly self-confident and rely on what you believe is your strengths. And so you don't play the timid coward either. Humility is not to demand from others what you think you deserve for yourself. Respect or honor or other things. So that you're slow to take offense. So that you're quick to forgive. So that you're patient to forbear. And absolutely resist the idea of using your position for any kind of vengeance or retaliation or sulking. Jesus promised a kingdom to those who stood by him, and yet the very people he spoke to—we'll leave Judas out; he's already been consigned—but all the rest who were there, he promised them a kingdom, knowing they would all desert him. Isn't that remarkable? And even as he told Peter he would deny deny Jesus three times, Jesus also made it clear that he would restore that he would restore Peter as well. Humility is not to demand from others what you think you deserve for yourself. You're not free to do that. Humility is to care for souls as your top priority. And what that means is, practically, that your own best agenda, your own best sense of what needs to be done, and I'm not being sarcastic, your own best agenda remains your secondary priority so that you don't run over people, and you don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Your foremost priority is Christ, which is the care of souls. That's humility. Let me make two comments about loyalty. Loyalty is to trust and obey, to honor, to love, to worship, and to study Christ. Now, Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And it's just flat out the truth. If we love him, we will keep his commandments. He also said, apart from me, you can do nothing. And that also is the truth. So loyalty is staying very close to Christ. It's loving him, seeking to obey him, honor him, love him in your life, worship and study him. But also, loyalty is to hold. The trust that others invest in you. Loyalty is to hold the trust that others invest in you as sacred, as absolutely sacred and inviolable. Beginning with Christ, who to quote Paul about himself, who judged me faithful, Paul wrote, appointing me to this service. You hear that? Who judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and an insolent opponent. And it's to take the trust that you're given, beginning with what you're entrusted, the trust Christ invests in you, what you're entrusted with by him, and holding it truly, truly is sacred. There's nothing of greater worth, there's nothing of greater value that one person can ever give another person than their trust. So in response... We give Christ our very best, and we seek to do the same to others. And it includes giving people our ear, giving them our time and our attention, and giving them our uh, compassion. And if we approach leadership as a way of serving rather than as a way of being served, uh, grounded in humility and motivated by a supreme loyalty, if you do this, and I speak to you who are officers, You will do well. The church will prosper. Uh, May the Lord bless us and bless you in this. And if you, these are your commitments. And you will sin along the way. And when you do, they will not be disastrous. Uh, God's mercy will be present. His restoring work will be much in play. So that's my, uh, my charge to us all in any relationship of uh, leadership, we have the leadership in our lives. Uh, God bless you. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for uh, what Jesus taught about leadership and servanthood. We thank you that uh, it's totally relevant. It's completely pertinent. We thank you that you knew what your church would need, that your people, who will, because of their faith, so often be subject to rejection in the world and by the world, will need this kind of leadership in order to sustain, be sustained and to prosper and to thrive. The church must be led as you led your apostles, Jesus. With the same determinations. So I pray that you would help us use, not be shy of using the tools in the box that you give us. But to use them with that purpose of serving in mind. And with a, with a high commitment. Holy Spirit, help us. An understanding of the necessity for humility and complete loyalty. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.